Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for leading us in prayer this morning. It's a uh, needful thing sometimes to pause ourselves, to listen to the hum of the air conditioner, and to consider our lives before the Lord. Um, I invite you to turn in your scriptures to Psalm 130 and Psalm 131. We're going to open the text this morning. As Pastor Karen mentioned, we've got some just fun things in store for the end of celebrating um, lives, uh, the lives of young people and their walks with the Lord. Um, One of the things that I'm thankful for, even during this time uh, of weirdness in our nation and country, is that we can gather, and we can gather freely. And to even just hear the small voices talking to their moms or their dads out there, moms and dads, you're doing a great job. Continue to build into your kids the importance of the Word of God in gathering as the body of Christ. And uh, we will just continue to love you and, and bless you as you um, teach your kids what it means to love and follow Jesus. Um, Psalm 130, Psalm 131 is where we are at. Uh, I'll just invite you to remain seated right now, but recognize that we're reading the the very words of God here. These these are the words that God has given to the psalmist. And you've heard Psalm 130 already once this morning, but it bears just another repeat. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for Yahweh, I wait, and and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its sins. Psalm 131, a Davidic psalm of a sense. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. Instead, I've calmed and quieted myself like a little weaned child with its mother. I am like a little child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. Let's pray just for a moment. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it leads and guides and teaches us and trains us up so that we might live a life knowing what your heart is and knowing those things which should concern us most importantly. God, we thank you for your spirit who guides us into truth. We pray that the spirit would guide us again today that he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to set upon your word. Not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of those around us so that we might go and tell of what you have done in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, uh, our our message is centered around this idea of hope. And uh, last week when Dr. Ken Van Kirk was here, he, he talked about this idea of hope. And just kind of put simply, uh, hope, if we were to define hope, here's what I wrote in my notes. Um, I, I, wrote, I wrote this. It says, what does hope look like? 
And I wrote, hope looks like waiting upon God's action, trusting that he will be faithful to his word in his timing. Hope is displayed or it's lived out as we praise God and we are faithful to his teaching, especially through the deepest and darkest moments of our lives. A great psalm to look to for hope is Psalm 42. You can look at that later. But hope looks like waiting upon God's action, trusting that he will be faithful to his word in his timing. Hope is displayed by praising God and being faithful to his teaching, especially through the deep and dark moments of our lives. What is different about a definition of hope like this and how we tend to think about hope is in a modern context, we tend to say, well, I hope I get to go to the zoo tomorrow. And it may or may not happen. We, we use this word hope in a very um, uh, temporary way. Like, oh, will will happen, will it not? I don't know. Hope, biblically speaking, is always confident and sure because hope when it is rightly placed is placed in the Lord whose ways are just, whose heart is right, and whose word will come to pass. It's, it's something we can bank on. Now, one of the things I think we struggle with with hope is a lot of times God's timing doesn't look the way we wish it would. <laughs> we, we, we think, God, I hope this happens. And, 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 and God may hope that too. It may just be in a different timetable than what you have in mind. For example, we have the hope of Christ's return. Do I know when that's going to happen? Nope. It could come at any time. Could be now. Could be now. Could be now. I don't know. It could be now. <laughs> we don't know the day or the hour of Christ's return, but we hope expectantly, confidently. It is based upon God's word that even as God sent his son to come and redeem us from our sins, we can trust that God will come again and he will take us to be with him. So the idea of hope here is a very important one. Well, let's look at a couple of things, then we'll kind of sum up this idea of hope at the end. Um, look, at, look at the first couple of verses of Psalm 130 with me. Out of the depths, I call to you Yahweh. All right, the word for depths here is, the word, is a word that means deep waters. Uh, it's related um, to the idea of deep or mysterious. It's related to the word valley. It, it describes a state of life when we find ourselves in trouble, when we cannot find a way out of the predicament we find ourselves in. And it, it, it basically describes utter helplessness. You know, out of the depths, out of the utter helplessness of my life, what does the psalmist do? He calls out to God. He, he cries out to God. In fact, he says, Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help or my cry for pleading. So the, the situation the psalmist finds himself in is one that's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. And if we keep on reading and we go to verse 3, we get an understanding of what he's talking about here. Verse 3 suggests that this deep valley or these deep waters that the psalmist finds himself in is sin. It's sin. He says, Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? Now, the word for sin here is a word in Hebrew, and the word is avon. Can you say avon? Avon. Yeah, there's your Hebrew word for the day. Avon means iniquity. It means guilt caused by sin. Okay, so it's not just the fact that you did something bad or something against God's, God's teaching or God's heart. It's that you are guilty because of it. I am guilty because of it. The psalmist says, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, 
If you knew the guilt that was going on in all of our lives, he says, who could stand? And that's a rhetorical question because for the psalmist, the answer is no one. You couldn't stand. I couldn't stand. The reason we can't stand is because all of us have a record of sin. Every single one of us have sinned against God. It may be something that we consider small. It may be something that we consider big. Each one of us has sinned against God. That's what the scriptures teach. Uh, Romans, for example, says, For all have sinned and fall in short of the glory of God. The scripture also says, There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. This idea of sin, iniquity, guilt caused by sin, the, the word avon comes, comes from a root that means to do wrong, to be twisted, or to be bent, okay? To do wrong, to be twisted, or to be bent. Now, when you're building a structure, I don't know how many builders or like home improvement people we have out here, when you're building a structure, you generally want it to be straight, like if you're going to build a tower, for example, you want it to be a straight tower. You don't want it to be like a leaning tower. How, how many of you have heard of the leaning tower of Pisa? Okay, fantastic. So I want you to picture just for a moment in your mind the leaning tower of Pisa. Would you want to live in that? I hope not. <laughs> it's on a four-degree slant, according to Wikipedia. Uh, so just imagine, you know, you, you think you want to live in a tower where you could dwell, but your tower goes like this. That's the idea of iniquity, of a vone, of guilt caused by sin. You may be kind of like maybe on the path, but sin causes you to go off. And what God calls us to and gives us grace for is to walk in a straight path, not a crooked path. Our natural reaction to sin is sometimes to dismiss it, sometimes it's to minimize it. But before God, he says, sin matters. Sin separates you from me. There is guilt that is caused by sin, which is why the psalmist says, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? Absolutely no one. But he says, but with you, there is forgiveness. Because see, when, when you're walking in a life of avone, of sin, of iniquity, you're, you're walking in a way that is not walking with God. But there's a remedy for that. Though God is holy, righteous, and just, man is not. Left on our own, we are guilty before God, and there is absolutely no amount of good deeds that can make us right before him. One of the things we like to do is we say, well, I'm really not that far off of what God wants. Or we might say, as long as I do enough good things in my life, surely God will accept these as, as an offering to him, and it will kind of, you know, my good outweighs my bad, and there's no big deal. But the problem is, is that doesn't go in teaching with, with Scripture. Because God is holy, righteous, and just, we have to always remember that God's ways are different than ours. God's standard of righteousness is different than ours. But for the psalmist, the, while this is a predicament he finds himself in, he says in verse 4, there's this in incredibly huge conjunction here. He says, but with you there is forgiveness. Now the idea of forgiveness here is, um, is this idea 
the word forgiveness actually is used three times in the Hebrew Bible, and it's used only by God or used to describe God, okay? The word here for forgiveness is not how you might forgive someone else. Um, the word for forgiveness you'll find in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. You'll find in, in Daniel chapter 9, and, and I'll just read Daniel 9 for you. Um, Daniel says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. In the context here, he, he's remembering that they have not obeyed the voice of God, and yet inherent within God's character is this, is this characteristic of forgiveness. He says, We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways, which he set for us by his servants, the prophets. The idea behind forgiveness is forgiveness of sin or pardon. So on the one hand, we have avone, sin, iniquity, guilt caused by sin. But on the other hand, we have forgiveness, which is pardon. One of the strong things about forgiveness is it doesn't say you didn't sin. It's not like dismissive. God says, yes, you did sin, but I pardon your sin. All right? It doesn't look past it in the sense of it never existed. He looks at it and he says, I'm going to pardon that which has made you guilty. I'm going to pardon the effects of your sin. This is a huge idea and qualifier in the scripture. The word for forgiveness here um, is only used with divine pardon. And the idea behind this word is that it is a gift of God's free will. In other words, God does not owe it to us. God does not owe it to us. It's a gift of his grace, of his free will. Now, one of the passages I was reading this past week, just in my normal Bible reading, I'm working through 1 Samuel right now. And 1 Samuel comes out of the book of Judges. And Judges, if you've read it, is a messed up book because the kind of one of the major themes of Judges is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And whenever that happens, it's generally not a good thing. Uh, actually, it's never a good thing. When you do what's right in your own eyes, when you kind of go down this path of sin towards uh, or away from God, it, it never ends well. And that's the story of Judges. You come out of Judges, you get into 1 Samuel, and um, Samuel the prophet is raised up by God. Uh, but shortly after that happens, um, Israel enters into a battle with the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were one of their major enemies at this time. And in 1 Samuel chapters 4 and 5, Israel has continued to not follow God. You know, they, they've had these moments where, yes, they followed God for this and this and this. But then there's a whole lot of other times where they have gone their own way. Yet, they, so they go up and they attack the Philistines. They lose. And so then they end up going back and they say, wait, we have this Ark of the Covenant, which houses the dwelling of God in the Hebrew Bible. And so they say, this is the Ark of the Covenant that we crossed over the Jordan with at flood stage. This is the Ark of the Covenant that we went into the land with. And we went around Jericho seven times and the whole city came tumbling down and everything like that. They said, let's grab the Ark of the Covenant. If we go with the Ark, surely God will be with us and we will conquer our enemy. Um, that's unfortunately not what happened though, because they wanted to use the Ark of the Covenant as a means to achieve their own ends. They, they wanted their desired objective, beating the Philistines, not God's desired objective, which would be for them to live in a holy, righteous manner before God, submitting to his authority over their life. And so what's interesting in the story that I noticed this week was that while 
when they grab the ark, they take the ark with them. The Philistines go, oh no, the ark is coming with them because they'd heard about this ark. They'd heard about the God who dwells in this ark and everything he had done. And in Israel is coming at them. The Philistines are kind of beginning to quake, get a little shaky need. But in this battle, it ends up that Israel is defeated severely, like 30,000 foot soldiers severely. Um, they, They died that day. And in the process of this, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. All right, I'd share the story with you in part because Israel wants to do something that they think is right. And God says, that's not what I wanted you to do. (laughs) I never told you to go do that. But they continued to go their own way. What's interesting is that the Ark of the Covenant is captured, and the Philistines take it back to Ashdod, which is where the temple of their god Dagon was. And so they place the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon, and when they get up the next morning, the, the um, carved statue that they have of Dagon is flat on his face before the Ark. All right, so being brilliant people, they lift him back up. Okay, a bunch of humans lifting their god back up off the floor, kind of describes how powerful their God is. Uh, They lift him up back off the floor. The next day, the statue is again face down. This time has a broken head and broken hands. Now, one of the things that struck me as I was reading this story is what should have been the people of Philistia, Philistia, the Philistines' response, what should have been their response? What should have been their response? I didn't hear that. What? Yeah, serve the more powerful God. But what happened? Well, they kept it for another several months. They got tumors throughout their community. Finally, they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart with two cows, and they said, get out of here. So here we have, we have the Israelites who are, or not the Israelites, we have the Israelites who have basically given up the Ark of the Covenant because it's captured in war. The Philistines say, come into our temple. Their God is definitely not more powerful, but they say, we don't want to serve the more powerful God. We'd rather serve the God made by wooden hands and carved statues. Let's get the real God out of here. This is a picture of the waywardness that we have in our life. A lot of times what you and I want to do is we walk around and we know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. We, we know what he has done for us. And yet, we might even have a relationship with him. But we, we, we instead, many times in our life, we say, I'd rather follow and serve my own God over here instead of serving the one that is true and right Psalm 115 says this, it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And he goes on talking about how how the nations serve all these gods. You know, they have eyes but do not see. They have mouths but do not speak. They have uh, hands but do not feel. They have ears but do not hear. And it says, those who make gods like this become like them. So do all who trust in them. And the psalmist is getting to the point of Israel trust in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord, much like what the psalmist is saying here. Put your hope in the Lord, because that is the only place we will find hope. The people don't recognize their sin, and they don't repent before God. And when we don't do this, in our lives, we stand guilty before God. Without coming to God by faith, trusting in the work of Jesus to pardon and care for our sins, as we have sung this morning already, we come without 
hope. Because as the psalmist says, Lord, if you considered sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Forgiveness is only found in God. Now, forgiveness is not an end to itself, though. The text says, with you there is forgiveness for the purpose of or so that you may be revered. To revere God means to align your life in accordance with God's will. All right? It's this word, some of your texts might say to fear God. It's to have an awe of God and of who he is. But at the core, revering God, fearing God, means to align your life in accordance with God's will. So the progression is this. You have a recognition of sin followed by, um, you have a recognition of sin followed by, but God, there is with you forgiveness so that my life might then live in accordance with what you want me to do. That's what the psalmist is saying. Now, verses 5 and 6, he, he uses this imagery of wait. He says, I wait for Yahweh. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I put my hope in his word. Uh, you could literally, actually literally translated this verse in Hebrew is, I wait for the Lord. My inner soul waits. And in his word, I hope. In his word, I hope. Hope is not based upon something elusive. It's based upon the word of God. Now, the word for word, don't get confused. The word for word here in Hebrew is a word that means word, it means deed, or it means action. Behind God's word, there is always action. There's always um, movement, a decisiveness on behalf of something, whatever God is saying. In other words, what God says, God does. The, 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 the meaning of these two ideas is very strong. The hope described by the psalmist is, is that the word or the action that he is trusting is that when he calls to God and he turns in repentance because he, has, he is guilty before God, his trust is in that God will hear and forgive. His hope is in God's word that says, I will hear you and I will forgive you. It's much like what 1 John says in chapter 1. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a truth. That is a hope that you and I can take to the bank. That if we come before God and we say, God, I have sinned. God, I have lived my own way of living. God, forgive me. God hears your prayer, and you can trust, and you can know that you have a life with God based upon what Jesus has done by dying and rising from the dead. Um, Verse 6 paints a really kind of neat picture about um, trusting in God's forgiveness. It says, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning, I wait or I hope for the Lord. And the, um, the, ideal, the idea here is in the ancient period, you would have sentinels or you'd have people who would stand watch or stand guard on city walls, or you'd have soldiers that would be in camps during times of war. And they would be there watching during the long hours of the night, 
waiting for morning. Because when it's dark, especially in a context where you're not going to burn a whole lot of oil to have lamps everywhere, where you're not going to have street lights every six feet or whatever, you, you peer out and you go, can I see? Can I see? Can I see? And, and the watchman who's staying up all night, maybe some of you are night people here, but like the night, like I'm good till a certain point in time, and then I'm just like out. I'm, I'm just not able to, to keep with it very easily. Um, but, but they're looking for the morning. The watchman can't wait for that morning to come because not only can they see so they can assess threats better, their watch is also coming. So there's this great anticipation while there's darkness all around them, they wait for the daylight. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I wait for the Lord. I wait. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And friends, our world is filled with all sorts of darkness. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus and we have a true hope of forgiveness, we wait for him. We expectantly wait for him to come as sure as the watchman anticipates the dawn. Now, we're going to finish verses 7 and 8 in just a minute, but I want to jump to Psalm 131 and make a couple of observations. Um, Psalm 131 says this. It picks on this idea of pride. It says, Lord, my, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. Okay? Um, my heart is not proud. It's not high. It's not lofty. What he's talking about here is how pride and humility contrast. All right? We get this numerous times in the scripture, this idea of pride or highness or loftiness, and this idea of humility. Um, one of the scriptural truths that comes through over and over and over again is that pride always precedes a fall. Pride always precedes a fall. And the call to the people of God is to live humbly before the Lord. I think it's the prophet Micah who says, or Micha says, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Um, the, the, uh, the writer James in the New Testament says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The constant call for God's people is to humility, not to pride. And, and he gives um, some more commentary on this. He says, I do not get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. In, in other words, he doesn't concern himself with things that are above his pay grade. Because there's certain things in our life that, friends, we, we just don't have any control over. We, we can pray about it. We can trust it to God. But there's a whole host of things in our culture today where I can't control it. You can't control it. But yet we try to all the time, right? Like, just think of your life the last week. What were some of the things you tried to control? How did that go for you? Now, there are some things that God does call us to be a part of. Namely, he calls us to live in accordance with the teaching of his word, to be faithful in those small details of life, to leave the big stuff to him. Um, 2 Chronicles 26 records the story of King Uzziah. Now, Uzziah became king at 16 years old. How many 16-year-olds do we have here? Any? We got one down here, 16. Oh, come on, you can raise your hand. It's all good. Okay, oh, there's one back there. Okay, so, oh, okay, very good. So we've got a couple 16-year-olds in this room. Um, now imagine, Jaslyn, you're closest, so I'm pick on you. Imagine Jaslyn is queen, okay? Jaslyn's queen over the entire portion of Judah. 
and you reign for 52 years. You have a, a, a long reign, okay? This is King Uzziah. He, he's 16 years old when he takes over responsibility that is ridiculously big and important. He's 16 years old. However, God blesses Uzziah. Uzziah seeks to follow the Lord for many of those 52 years of his reign. Um, but as he grows stronger, as, as, as he sees more blessing around him, something happens. And 2 Chronicles 26 verse 16 says, when he was strong, he grew proud. Okay, you see the word proud and you go, oh no, what's coming next? All right, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So here's the progression. Uzziah becomes king, 16. Many years of blessing, many years of following the Lord, Uzziah becomes proud. All right? Uzziah becomes proud, and in his pride, he seeks to replace God with himself. He seeks to pick up these things that are way beyond his pay grade and to involve himself in ways that he is not supposed to. In fact, he tries to offer incense on the altar, which was a big no-no for the king. All right? The, the priests stand up to stop him. And God strikes him with leprosy because he dares to come against the priests. Go check out the story. It's an incredible story. Uh, in the end, um, God judges him for that act of wickedness. He gives him leprosy. And when you get leprosy, you're sent out of the camp. You're banished from pretty much most of society. So we go from 16 years old, serving the Lord, faithful, 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 proud, uh-oh, destruction, uh-oh, Think about that for a moment. The power of pride in our life. Sometimes we just dismiss it, but it's not something to dismiss. And pride is one of those big things that causes us to be guilty before God. Part of the, 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 um, the, the tie between these two psalms is that the psalmist, I think, recognizes, God, if you considered sins, who could stand with you there is forgiveness. And then he says, God, my heart is not proud. And I think he goes, I know what happens when pride comes. Pride happens and then a fall. He doesn't want to concern himself with things too great or too difficult for me. Now, verse 2 describes this image of a child in a mother's embrace. And, and it's a metaphor of finding calmness and rest in God's presence. And Jesus picks up on this image of children in Mark chapter 10 and also in Matthew. And, and there was children that were brought to him that he, might, that he might touch them and bless them. And the disciples, his disciples, rebuke him. And when Jesus sees it, it says in verse 14, it says, he was indignant and he says to his disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to them belongs the kingdom of God. And in fact, he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. See, as disciples, a lot of times we come to God, and we want to say, God, look what I brought with me. God, look at all the things I'm managing. And we say, I've got this degree. I've got this um, thing behind me. I, I, I've got a great job. Look at my family, God. Everything is going well. God wants us to come to him humbly. He wants us to come to him knowing that we have sinned before God, and yet with God there is forgiveness. With God, there is forgiveness. 
so that we might then have a life that would revere God and worship God. Now, these two psalms have similar phrases. Uh, In verse 7 uh, of Psalm 130 and in verse 3 of Psalm 131, Psalm 130 says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Uh, Psalm 131 says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Now, Psalm 130 gives some great reasons. It says, for there is faithful love. There is chesed there, covenant love, steadfast love with the Lord. And with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its sins. The, the, the way that this is written is it's, it's written as the psalmist is directly addressing his people. You might think of it as this. You know, he, he's ascending these psalms of ascent that would happen every feast that they would come up and maybe other times as well. But they'd be entering, they'd be going up the steps of the temple and they get to this point. We're getting near the end of the psalms and he goes, Israel, my brothers, my sisters, put your hope in the Lord. Wherever you are at in your life today, put your hope in the Lord. Why? Because that's the only place hope can be placed and found. And we, where, where God's people can confidently say, we know what happens when we trust God. God is faithful. He's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to bring about his word in his timing. And just a couple questions as we begin to, to bring this home. Um, the first is this. Have you experienced redemption today? Have you come to God and said, God, I have sinned. Have you recognized that your life before God without his sacrifice of sending his son is, is, is not good enough to get you before God? When I was, when I was a kid, I, re- I remember hearing the gospel over and over and over again. And yet it was at a concert where I became face to face with, I am a sinner. And God, I need your salvation. I need the work of Jesus in my life. And, and my, my mom, my dad, my grandparents will tell you, I was, I was a kid filled with anger, filled with a mouth that would just lash out, especially at my brother, uh, at, at a moment's notice. But slowly, after I became a follower of Jesus, slowly God began to change my heart. God began to give me a heart for his word and a heart for his ways. Not perfectly, trust me, my wife and family can tell you that. Um, but, but, but so that my life might then look more like revering God instead of lifting myself up. Do you have a relationship with Jesus what I love about his, the, his phrase, put your hope in the Lord, is he cares about the people around him as well. He doesn't want to just personally have a relationship with Jesus. He turns around, he says, my brothers, my sisters, put your hope in the Lord. He cares about their relationship with Jesus. Friends, is your hope in the Lord this morning? Put your hope in the Lord. I think if the psalmist were here, he would say, put your hope in the Lord. Trust in him and in him alone. Lastly, as you consider your life this week and your walk with God, do you pick up things that are way beyond your pay grade? God wants to walk with you today. Hear that. God wants to walk with you today. 
emphasize it slightly different. God wants to walk with you today. He wants you to know him. And in the process of knowing him, he wants you, as he says in Matthew, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my teaching upon you, for my burden, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he actually says, there you will find rest for your souls. There's a lot of us who walk around restless. God says, come to me. Come to me. Find rest again in God alone. Find hope again in God alone. What is your hope today? Now, for, for, for some people, their hope is a political party. You know, one, the other, or maybe a third option. <laughs> That's their hope. For some, their hope is in medicine. Will that pill work? Will that treatment work? Will that vaccine work? For some people, their hope is in a peace um, agreement in the Middle East or a peace agreement or a treaty agreement somewhere. For many of us, our hope is in, our confidence is in, our trust is in, our own accomplishments and our own abilities. But God says it to us again today. Put your hope in the Lord. Where is your hope this day? Let's pray. Our Father and our King, we thank you that our hope is surely found in you. And God, I pray that you would forgive us of the many times in our life where we would seek to replace our confidence and our trust in you with confidence in other things. Maybe it's not an actual stone idol or a wooden image. God, maybe it's something as, as near and dear as we're really good at our job, and so we're okay. God, forgive us of placing our trust in things that are not you. And God, teach us what it means to wait quietly, to walk quietly with you, to, to like a little child who sits next to his mom or her mom and just rests, knowing that they are cared for. God, help us to trust you with that degree of confidence. Because God, you, are, you can be trusted. God, help us to not pick up things way beyond our pay grade. Give us a great desire to be faithful, to be faithful only in those things which you have called us to and commanded in your word. And Lord, would you give us a heart as well to take this message beyond ourselves? Lord, there's, there's a world that is hurting in so many ways, looking for answers, and God, we know that the answer is you. May that be our all-consuming message. May we constantly share the work that you have done in our life to bring redemption through the dying of your son on the cross and the rising from the grave and the faith and the trust that we have that what you have said, you will do. We bless you, Lord God, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. And together we say...
Amen. Okay, so we are going to go out with a bang this morning. I'm so excited for this. Um, we are going to do two things. We're going to have parent-child dedication, and we're also going to celebrate baptism. So I want to invite the Fabers, and I want to invite the Kramers to come on up here and join me uh, as we do the parent-child dedication. We'll do that first. So, awesome. As they make their way up here, just a couple of, of, of uh, comments. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 love this passage. If you don't know it, you should. Uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What he's talking about is one of the ways that we are called to fear the Lord as families is to not only love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, might, strength, but also then to instill the word of God and to share the good news of Jesus with our kids. And one of the reasons why we do parent-child dedications is these parents, Kevin and Anita, Tom and Kayla, want to commit themselves to instilling God's word and God's truth into these two adorable kids, right? All right, so this is Micah, and this is Taylee. You can find out more about them, what their names mean in part of your bulletin this morning. I'll let you read that. You can also hear their testimonies and how these four adults have come to faith and trust in Jesus. And so one of the things we want to do as a community is we want to pray over them. Uh, we, we recognize in, within our tradition here, um, this is not something that saves these young people. This is a commitment really more than even the kids. It's a commitment for the parents to say, we want our lives and we want our households to look and act a certain way. And we as a church want to encourage and support them in that. Amen? Thank you. Um, and so we are going to, we're going to pray. Here's one of the ways that we encourage and support them, though. You, you know, there's, there's prayer, which we're going to do in just a minute. Um, there's also, I mean, stories could be told about how many people uh, had a Sunday school teacher who had a small group leader, who had someone come alongside them from the church to instill into them a love for the Lord. And one of the ways we want to commit ourselves for the time that God has us here is to say we want to help love Taylor and love Micah well so that they would see Jesus. We want to support these parents in the work that they are committing themselves to do. So baby dedication has nothing to do with saving these kids, um, but it's a way to recognize that they have been fashioned and made by God. And you have an awesome candy there. And... Um, <laughs> I know, it's great. Do whatever, do whatever it takes. Um, <laughs> love it. Um, we want, and we want to pray that these kiddos would love and follow Jesus. That they would have a life that is consumed by a desire to glorify him. And so let's go ahead and pray for them. We'll start over here. We'll just go this way. All right, let me pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for Kevin and Anita. God, thank you for their heart for you. Thank you for their desire to serve you. And God, I pray for them as parents that you would give them an undivided heart to know and to follow you. God, instill within them a deep love of your word, of your truth, so that that word and that truth might be instilled into Micah and to his heart. 
Pray the same for Micah's grandparents, for his aunts and uncles. I pray the same, God, for our church community here that we would instill into Micah at every opportunity that he is a dearly loved child made in your image, and God, that you long to have a relationship with him. God, I pray that he would come to know you at a young age, that you would bless his life, and that his life might serve you with great power and with great um, passion. God, you know how you have gifted this young man. God, use those gifts to further your kingdom, to further your name, so that the name of Jesus might go forth from his mouth into another generation and another generation of how good and how faithful you are. We thank you, God, for them, and we, bl we, we bless them and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we're going to pray for Tom and Kayla. I don't hold kids because, you know, I don't want them to scream. So, but I'll wave. It's good to see you, Taylor. <laughs> so good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Stoic is what we have up here. Let's pray for Tom and Kayla. And, uh, yeah, Tom, Kayla, and Taylor. Um, Lord, thank you so much for Tom and Kayla. Thank you for how you have gifted them, each uniquely to love and to serve you. God, thank you for how um, you have used people in their life to share with Tom and Kayla over the years what it means to love and follow Jesus. And I pray that their lives would be radically devoted to the gospel, to knowing you that, God, they might have a deep passion to study your word and to be obedient in the big and the small things that you call them to. God, give them not a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of sound, uh, sound mind. Lord, thank you for Taylor. Thank you for her life. I pray that she would know that she is a dearly loved daughter of yours, that she has been made in your image and that you love her with an everlasting love. Lord, may she come to, um, to a saving relationship with Jesus by faith at a young age. May her life be committed to the work of the kingdom. God, may you further the kingdom generation after generation because of this young one's love for you and commitment to you. God, we pray that that would be so. We trust her and their family to you. God, we pray that you would help us as a congregation to love these families well, to care for them well, to encourage them, to instill the word of God into them. When we see them having a rough day, God, to speak words of hope and encouragement into their lives. Um, God, give us a great prayerfulness for these lives up here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I love it. Good job. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I know. He's got a smart. He's a happy man. Um, all right. And then we're going to go out with another bang. I want to invite uh, Jeff to come on down. Um, Jeff and Heidi Frizee are missionaries to Mali. Many of you know that already. We've, we've been able to host them in our church a little bit. They're also, um, Heidi's related to um, Nathan and Stacy Kunkel, Jeff and Angela Kunkel. They're just kind of, I like to make ties for people because I was here one time, like I was here for like five years and I re realized that two people were like brother and sister. And I'm like, really? I didn't know. Um, so, so what I wanted to do is kind of let you know that. But uh, Jeff and Heidi contacted me a couple days ago after we had had some initial conversation. Uh, they, they're, they're, five of their kids um, want to be baptized because they're followers of Jesus and they want to profess that. Baptism for us, we, we, we believe here in believer's baptism. The, the, the pattern of the book of Acts is we see the gospel go forth and someone receives the gospel and then they say, I want to drive the stake in the ground. I want to follow through with baptism. Uh, Matthew 28 says, go into all the world 
world and make disciples, uh, baptizing and commanding them, teaching them to obey everything uh, I have said, Jesus says. That's a rough paraphrase there. So um, before Jeff and Holly, uh, Jeff and Holly, Jeff and Heidi head back to Molly, that's where the, that's where the conflation happened. Um, before they head back to Molly, they, their kids wanted to be baptized so that their grandparents could be here so that they could celebrate. And they said, can we do it here? And I said, absolutely. And so church, we know what we do, right? When someone's baptized, right? Nod your head if you know. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So Jeff, uh, introduce your kids and, and take it from there. All right. Uh, I'm going to be baptizing, but since I'm the dad, I also have to take pictures. Got this right here. Um, these are five kids that we, is that too far? All right. There you go. That better? All right. We have uh, five kids that we've discipled that are at the point of ready, uh, where they're ready to be baptized and follow Jesus in that way. I'll go, I'll go oldest to youngest. Come on down. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Joe, and I'm a follower of Jesus. Amen. Joe, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. That he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. And rose again? Yes. And are you trusting in that for your salvation? Yes. All right. I want to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going the wrong way, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Baptized in the likeness of Jesus' death, and raised in glory and power to be of life. All right, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Harley Joy, and I am going to follow Jesus anywhere he takes me. All right, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. That he died for your sins? Yes. And that he rose to life? Yes. All right, and I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the likeness of Jesus' death, raised in glory and power to lead us life. Zach, and I am a follower of Jesus. All right. Zach, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. That he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. And that he rose again? Yes. Are you trusting that for your salvation? Yes. All right. And I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize in likeness of Jesus. <laughs> Raise in newness of life. <laughs> Jethro, I'm 10 and I want to get baptized because I feel like it's what God wants me to do. Amen. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I do. That he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. And that he rose again? Mm -hmm. All right. Then I want to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hold on to your nose there. 
baptized in the likeness of Jesus' death, raised in the newness of life. Can I give you a hug? Last one. Go ahead and introduce. Can you see her? Here we go. There we go. Hi, I'm Katie, and I want to get baptized. Right. Katie, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. That he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. And that he rose again? Yes. All right. And I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the likeness of Jesus Christ, raised in glory and power, the newness of life. Oh. What a way to go out. Amen? Yeah. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized... I encourage you to come talk with us. We'd love to be able to do that. Um, as, as Jeff said, we were clapping by the time. I, I couldn't hear the last part of what he said, but usually when we baptize, we say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in a newness of life. God wants newness for your life today. God wants you to walk with him today. God wants the life that followers of Jesus have to be a life that then goes out and shares that life with other people. God is going to bring into your life people this week, maybe even this day, who need to hear the message of Jesus. Faithfully proclaim what God has done for you. All right? Let's, uh, let's stand together as we close. Wherever you head right now, you are entering a place where you are to be the hands and the feet of God. The people who will see you this week will have the opportunity to see the transforming work that God is doing in your life. Not about perfection, but about continual transformation to be more and more like him. So I want to pray over you as you get ready to leave and be a witness for the Lord in the world around us. God, we thank you so much for saving us and for redeeming us. God, I thank, I'm thankful that we have hope in you today. Regardless of what happens in this world around us, our hope is confident and sure. A hope, God, that looks forward to your coming. And until that day, a hope that faithfully serves with humility and with grace. God, live in and through us by the power of your Spirit so that our lives would be lives that demonstrate to the world around us that Jesus saves and that following Jesus matters. I pray for these young lives, both, both the lives of uh, Jeff and Heidi's kids and also the lives of, of these young ones who were dedicated today. God, I pray that their lives, even now, would be lives that would testify of your goodness and your grace. Thank you, God, for equipping us. Thank you, God, for being with us. You promised this in your word, that surely I am with you even till the end of the age. God, what great hope that is. You are with us. May we learn what it means to depend upon you 
anew today. We pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.